Well, greetings, Imagination Connoisseurs. Once again, it is I, your Duke of Dope Discourse, your Master of Fun and Wonder, your Viceroy of Verisimilitude and whatever other nicknames you want to hang on me because I only accept ones that people give to me, Rightly not so. ones I give myself. Mm-hmm. But you know what? You know who I do give a nickname to? Well-deserved. The Empress, actually the Enchantress of... Of oh effervescence. My gosh. I was gonna say, I was like, "What's my I, I was I was gonna change it, but I, I figured no. The enchantress and the, the you girl with chop some stuff. The girl with the thousand voices. Oh, thank you. Yeah, I like it. I, I got the princess of positivity in chat, and I like that's that one good. Too. The, okay, so that we've got the enchantress, the enchantress of effervescence, mm-hmm. the princess of positivity. Mm-hmm. We should have one more. Yeah, because you got to work in threes. Yeah, you got to have three. Go for it, chat. The rule of threes. Thank Give her guys. a third nickname. <laughs> that's Chris Carr, everyone, and this is the Weekly Hero issue number 19. Woo-woo. Wow. You know, there's more and more comic book superhero-related news coming down the pike. we got a good show for you today. Yes, we do. Beginning with the idea there's talk of a live-action Invincible series. We were, we were talking about it uh, on the show this morning. Robert Kirkman, the empresario of, well, of Invincible? Yeah. The Empresario of Invincible. There you go. <laughs> That's a great name. Uh, he created this series, the comic series that was put out by Image originally. Mm-hmm. And it is it is obviously a very violent animated show that we all took much glee in watching. Oh, hell yeah. By the way, you can get a third-party Omni-Man. Uh, it's a great figure. Ooh. So-So Toys made a good one. I would want that one. The same company that made what we're going to show later today, which is one of my favorite oh, six-scale figures I've gotten in a long time. But so, Chris, let me ask you this. Mm-hmm. You know, we were talking about the fact that, that um, about IP and how it's easier to get something made. Do you think they'll make an Invincible movie, and would they have to make it R-rated for it to be good? If they made it, I think you would have to give it an R rating because that is what is so intrinsically tied to this IP is the hyper violence. That's the whole shift, like we were talking about today, of going from this kind of unassuming, almost Peter Parker-esque story of getting right. your powers, getting the attention of the girl you like at school, you know, living in the shadows of some great people too. Like he's the son of a superhero and he hasn't gotten his powers and then he finally does. And then we have this horrific violence happen. I think you need to have it there. When it comes to the actual live action adaptation, I think they're sure going to try to make it. I just don't know if they should. You know? Yeah, you know, it's interesting because I think I think back to something. I don't know if these are equal, but Kick-Ass came mm-hmm. from a from an indie comic that was, yeah. I think, also published by Image. I'm not sure. I think Kick-Ass might have been. I'm not sure. Either that or Dark Horse, but I think it was Image. Mm-hmm. But so that was a hyper-violent comic but it was it was kind of a parody this is more not a parody it's still hyper violent yeah but i think part of its reason for existing is in fact the violence and you know one of the things that people when i saw man of steel people are always talking about, oh well superman's not saving the civilian population the problem is if you have two kryptonians going mano a mano in the skies over metropolis many many people are going to die yeah. there's uh, buildings are falling lots of people uh, are going to perish. And I think that when you have superpowered beings that are this powerful in conflict, there's you can't help but deal with mass casualties no matter what happens. I mean, one of my favorite comic books of all time is Alan Moore's Miracle Man. And is, in issue 15 yes. of Miracle Man, Miracle Man's arch nemesis is waiting for him in London. He, he's slaughtering people, like thousands of people, and putting their heads on pikes waiting for Miracle Man to show up to take him down. And um, that was horrific. Do you think they're going to do it on the Disney Plus show? Uh, I don't think so. Probably not. No, I don't think they would do that. 
But I mean, on uh, with this part of the fun. I mean, is it fun? I guess I can say it's fun. But isn't part of the fun the violence? Like, it is. isn't what the boys does? Like, when really Homelander is. takes somebody's head off. Well, and that's the thing, right? The boys does it really, really well. They take that violence and they make it work. It's hyper stylized. It helps with the kind of narrative they're telling too about how if you had great power, you would be just a complete asshole. You know, and that's and, what a and lot of what so dangerous. Here. You'd be wildly dangerous. But my big issue here too is. One, I just want worry about the translation, right? right? Because this is like reading the comic books, but there are some different spins there. Kirkman himself has talked about how he hopes the series does kind of go off the rails from what he's already written in the comics and they do its own thing, which yeah. I'm, I'm very much here for. But from a, a timing standpoint, the bigger show I have is the, the feature film part of it all. Just to condense all of that lore and everything that you have to have to have that big twist into one feature film. Well, yeah, I think there's too much. Uh, it's a trilogy. No, it's... Maybe. I mean, it'd be weird to end with the twist. You can't do it like you did in the pilot. No, no. I don't know how they would do it. I mean, my problem is this. Invincible uses a lot of elements from other sci or other superhero mythologies that we know about, whether it's, you know, whether it's Spider-Man, whether it's Superman, whether it's Batman, I mean, or passing the torch. Uh, Nightwing wasn't necessarily Batman's son, but there is an element of that, living in the shadow of a superhero and then taking on a mantle of your yeah. own. And I just wonder, I mean, this isn't going to be cheap. Would it be worth spending the kind of money that a live-action Invincible series would cost? Yeah. I mean, a, a live-action movie, would it be worth spending the money? That's what they're going to have to figure out. And they will still have Seth Rogen and Evan Goldberg behind this, which right. I think is another tip in the right direction because they've done really, really well with other IP. Um, but we'll see if this comes to fruition. I mean, it's interesting because they've taken on a lot of IP that's difficult. Preacher. Preacher, which was boys. so well done. Yeah, I thought it was really well the done. The boys, they elevated it from the source material. Yes, they did. I mean, I even I thought when I was reading the boys, because I, I think I have four absolute editions of it. Ooh. Even I was like, you know... This went a little too far. Just mm -hmm. it, it, and there was an element of that in the comics. Preacher, I always felt like Garth Ennis was was just let me just see how far, let me see how blasphemous I can get or yeah. how disgusting. Let me make one of my main characters somebody who tried to shoot their head off. Well, he does not like the superhero genre too, so no. that's why I was like, oh, I'm going to do it this way. Uh, it was great. Mm -hmm. Well, so yay or nay on Invincible as a live action film? <sighs> I'm leaning towards nay right now, but with all the right people behind it, maybe they can make it work. Yeah, I just don't know if they should. Yeah. I mean, leave it as the, the animated series works really, really it's well. Killer. It is killer. It's really great. Let uh, us know what you think, though. What do you think down in the comments? Tell us if we're right or wrong. You know what we're not wrong about? Legal matters. You know why? Because we I work don't. with lawyers. Uh, yeah, we have good lawyers. <laughs> I actually we don't have take a, care of them ourselves. I have a few good lawyers. And you know who's going to have a couple of good lawyers? Actually, more than a, a couple. Yeah. Uh, is the new Daredevil Born Again series from... Disney Plus. Yeah. They're hiring real life lawyers who have experience, not just real great trial experience. They've written books the, the, uh, together collectively. They've written books about the law. They've worked on other shows beforehand. And they're hiring. And one of the one of them is from the public defender's office, I think, yes. in New York City. David Feige from uh, the Bronx Freedom Fund. And no relation, he is not by the related. way. Yeah, yeah, no relation. But uh, so they're having a lot of actual public defenders coming into the writer's room so they can get this right, which I think is very interesting. You know what I love about this? One of the things that I, they kind of cut out of the theatrical version, but it's in the director's cut of the original Daredevil from 2003 with Ben Affleck as mm -hmm. Matt Murdock. They added more 
legal legalese like you you had to see foggy and 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 matt murdoch trying or or getting their clients off yeah and i think that part of this show and it's something i kind of maybe it's because of my own expectation i thought she hulk would lean more into legal cases set within a superheroic universe like what happens they did a little bit of it and when they did touch on is pretty good mm-hmm. i think that but this is going to be a superhero going more into the real world and helping real people. It's an extension, or actually Daredevil is an extension of the legal work he did being a, a pro bono lawyer, public defender. I think this could actually, this makes me really excited. The show it will have an authenticity that could make it pretty yeah. good. I think it'll really flesh things out. And a lot of the other people that I've used here too have been consultants on things like Law and Order. Um, they've been involved in the Arrowverse and things like that as well to give that kind of legalese. Because I hate when a show says something so far-fetched when it's either the science where it is so bananas wrong. I need things to exist in a reality. Yeah. Um, and so I love when they actually bring on people who they are experts in these fields. Um, and you know, say what you will about She-Hulk. I know it wasn't everyone's taste. My dad's a lawyer. He was a corporate attorney for many, many years. And he also does um, some ghostwriting for some other companies and okay. stuff too. He loved how She-Hulk encapsulated corporate culture and being a kind of corporate attorney. He thought they did a really great job at that. He's so excited about this because having you know a public defender as your main um, character, yeah. there's a lot of red tape. There's a lot of legalese. And you can't just say whatever you want. I really, really enjoy the fact that they're going to work within the actual realm of the law because that's, that's the way Matt first tries to handle things. Yes. And it often just fails him. And I think we need to see how all of that red tape and how arbitration and everything can be so daunting and so harrowing that this is the only choice is to mask up. I think so too. And you know, what I really am looking forward to is that our legal system does not necessarily favor those who can't afford a great defense. Exactly. And that's what Matt Murdoch's whole thing is. I'm going to be there for the downtrodden, the people who can't afford any other representation. And the more real, the more real that is, I think the more the show will resonate because we can recognize that, dare I say it, verisimilitude. Exactly. So I think it's going to be a great show. I love the fact that they're, I mean, it doesn't matter to me whether the violence is the same level as the Netflix show. Mm -hmm. What I want is compelling drama. Exactly. And I I, I want the character of Matt Murdock to be fleshed out. I think they're not going to shy away from the fisticuffs, so to speak. For sure. But I do, I I would like to see a more hard-hitting legal side to this show so i'm i'm looking forward to that same here i'm very glad they brought on more avocados at law that's true you know what else i'm looking forward to what the return of one of the greatest video games of all time one of the great first person shooters but more than that one of the great multiplayer games i've seen more people scream at each other this is a classic game that's now over 25 years or it's about 26 years old when it originally came out they did reissue this game yes but this game was one of the most in my life i know it's going to date me as an old man but (laughs) no never the nintendo version of goldeneye yeah n64 yeah i mean i remember the 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 two games that we played the most when the n64 came out was shadows of the empire Mm -hmm. because the first level was snow speeders taking out imperial walkers in the snow and it was so much fun it was so close at that time but then goldeneye this game not only was it fun as a first person shooter but it was also so much fun like i said playing you have a party 
you're drinking. This is the greatest game because you could get loud and boisterous. And it was just as much fun to watch as it was to play. And the 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 colorful language my friends used to throw each other in each other's directions while they played this game was absolutely hilarious. Oh yeah, same. I, Taylor and I were just talking about this. Yeah. For for my golden birthday, when I turned 28 on the 28th, I oh, had wow. a James Bond themed party where you had to dress up as a James Bond character and the only thing playing on television was N64 GoldenEye. That was the only thing that could be on a screen so that you wow. could play GoldenEye and we had martinis and things got heated and rowdy. This game's the best. This game is the best. And then so you can great. unlock other James Bond villains mm-hmm. and it's coming now to Nintendo Switch. I'm so excited. And Xbox. I know that's important for oh, Ray. Okay, Ray it's coming to Xbox. Xbox. Now, Taylor, yeah. when is this dropping? Is it two days? This is day? dropping yeah. in two days on the 27th. I could not be more excited. I used to, before you could play online with friends, I used to go to my neighbor's place, bring my uh, N64 with me, blow in the cartridge when it didn't work, which I don't know if that was actually a thing or not. But uh, it was so fun because you would have everyone in the same room. And so I'm really hoping that we can do this as like a play in chat just to have four people playing, battle it out. Oh, man, it's so fun. Oh, no. it's And it, one of my friends, Steve Melching, is a pretty successful animation writer. He was like the wicked dead shot in this game. And if you were playing with him, oh, man, it was so frustrating because I never knew where he was. I just would feel the bullet enter my head. <laughs> Not for real. My, you know, the virtual bullet yeah. entering my head. But uh, this game... For those of you who've never played this game, I understand games have gotten a lot more sophisticated in the last 25 years, but there is something this game had just enough graphics at the time. Mm-hmm. It seemed so sophisticated at the time for a first-person shooter. Yeah. But it was something about the mechanics and the physics of that game that made it so much fun to play. You had so much agency. You felt like you were there, yeah. right? And I remember seeing that that rendering of Pierce Brosnan as a kid, I was just like, these are the greatest graphics I've ever seen in my life. These are amazing. I, I thought this was the coolest thing ever. And it was one that my dad would play with me too. Oh yeah. It's very important. So good. Yeah. And it's coming to switch and I can't wait. I mean, now with my old decrepit reflexes, I don't know how good I'm going to be. I don't know how good I'm going to be. You're a spring be. chicken. Well, you know, I try. Yeah. I, I'm going to do some more V shred. I'm going to drop 50 pounds and turn it into pure muscle just so I can play golden eye better. Ooh, I'm telling I love you. that for you. That means no alcohol, though. No sugar. It hasn't no been diet, that bad, honestly. Pepsi. Really? Yeah. Oh, well. I also, okay. like, I, I, I went to the gym at 5 a.m. today. I'm that person now. Wow. Who is she? She's yeah, but not don't as you fun. go to bed at, like, 6? I mean, I wish six. I could. That, honestly, that's my ideal time. So I, I go to bed at, at 6 a.m. You go to bed uh, yeah. 12 hours this before is why, me. This is why we never would have worked, Rob. I would have I would have made it. Oh, come on. Sweet man. Yeah, but I would have had to be younger, too. That's true, what are you going to do? Well, you know what that brings me to? Infections. Infections of the <laughs> fungal kind. We never would have worked. Infection. Infection. Oh, Infections of the way I used to be. Uh, cordyceps. I think it's on the word. It's it's on the it's on the tips of everyone's tongue. Cordyceps. Mm-hmm. First of all, I would love to see since the Last of Us debuted how many we've had a lot of think pieces about they're real. You know, the cordyceps infection could happen. And I would, I, I want to know what the Google search numbers are for cordyceps of the last two weeks. Yeah. I mean, it has to be one of the most, I don't know why it hasn't trended on Twitter yet that I've seen, but I'm sure it will. Oh, for sure. Now, one of the big things about The Last of Us is how they've changed, and I think for the better, they've changed the lore, the cordyceps lore, mm-hmm. in that it's not spread anymore by airborne spores. 
the you, you have to be bitten or you have to a tendril has to get you, which I actually kind of like better because in the game, I'm like, come on, if there's cordless, if if there's this kind of an infection, you could never get away. They would be everywhere. Exactly. There would be no place that would be safe. Well, and that's what Mason brought up too. Of everyone would get infected, or at the very least, the infection would spread so much faster. Everyone would be have to having to wear a mask constantly in the yeah. show. So they did make these changes, but they were saying there's still a possibility that we're going to explore the spore. The explore the spore. <laughs> Can I get it? Hashtag explore that's, that's the spore. That's going to be some new merch for us. Yeah, new merch. <laughs> new the John Campia show. Explore, explore the spore. The spore. Um, so here's the thing. Let me ask you this: mm-hmm. How do you feel when during adaptation they have to change things? to make it more believable because when you're watching or, or playing a video game, you're not analyzing the idea of the spores. Like, wait a minute, just cause I'm standing here. If I walked over there, there's spores over there, but they're not here. Yeah. I mean, you don't really think about that as much in a game. I think you give things a little more leeway in games. A lot right? more leeway. Of just, yeah, well, and that's where the spores live and it's fine. And I'm wearing my mask right now. So I'm very good. I, I don't have any problems at all. I thought the change, especially in the second episode in, infection mm-hmm. where you see the undulating bodies on the ground yes that was so creepy mm-hmm. and then the fact they established that the the tendrils of these these the cordyceps are growing underneath like actual forest born yeah. fungi brain well, the hive mind that fungus does in fact have or can have which yes. is bananas creepy i thought no as far as adaptation goes that's the way to do it exactly if it enhances the story if it makes you more invested in this too i i talk about this whether it's a D campaign or your own acting like work the more immersed you are in lore environment etc the more immersed your audience is going to be you have to buy into it before anyone else will so if it is something like, oh, there's a spore right next to me, but I'm not in that little poopy uh, mushroom cloud, so I'm right. fine. Yeah. No one's going to find that to be a real threat. If you make things have real <laughs> threats, if you see the masses of the infected, knowing where they're around, knowing that stepping on the wrong thing could trigger them coming after you, that raises the stakes in such a different way than a little spore cloud. It does. And, uh, you know, I don't know if they, if they bring it in later. To me, they've already done such a great job. They can bring the idea of airborne spores up to ratchet up the level of, of infection, but also, you know, when you're making a TV show, you don't want to cover the face of the actors that you're paying money to. And I thought that was a good, a good um, compromise or, or, and, and that it was a great thing to change. And it made it, they added, they added more lore to the cordyceps mm-hmm. in terms of those. It, and the way they showed it, you know, stepping on one thing alerts when they all woke up. It was like, oh, you know, we've got like three minutes. Yeah. And you've got this rushing horde you know are coming it's towards so you. It's so spooky. And you know what? The the world also deserves to see more of Pedro Pascal's face. It's true. All we don't right. get it in the man. We no, don't get it in the Mandalorian. Get in Mandalorian. His, 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 his contract. Uh, I, I don't want to wear a gas mask. Yeah. I would like people <laughs> to see who I am, not just hear my voice. So you're down with that change. I love it. I think it's great. You know what I think is really important uh, when fungus is involved? Manscaping. Manscaping. Sure oh, is. That's right. When you've got fungal issues, there's a way to handle them. And we're going to tell you right now. Take care of your bits and business. Hey, guys, we want to take a second to thank a sponsor of today's video, Manscaped. Breaking news, Manscaped now sells beard products. That's right. They are once again revolutionizing men's grooming with the brand new Beard Hedger Pro Kit. Now you can finally use Manscaped products to make your drapes match your carpet by going to manscaped.com and using the code 
Campia for 20% off and free shipping. It all starts with the Beard Hedger. This thing is a juggernaut of fixing faces. First off, this cordless trimmer has a rotary wheel that gives you 20 hair cutting lengths, all with one guard. So no more messy drawers full of extra add-ons. You also get the Beard Shampoo and Conditioner. Because guys, you gotta remember that all of your hair is different. Your beard hair is more coarse and easier to damage than the hair on your head. Next, the kit has Manscaped's Beard Oil. The oil relieves dryness both on the beard and the skin beneath. You then cap it off with the Beard Balm that shapes, styles, moisturizes, and tames for a sculpted look. The Pro Beard Kit also comes with three special gifts, a beard brush, comb, and scissors to ensure your beard is ready to impress. So get 20% off and free shipping with the code CAMPIA at manscaped.com. That's 20% off with free shipping at manscaped.com and use the code CAMPIA. Manscaped Beard Hedger, one stroke, one guard, 20 lengths. And thanks to Manscaped for taking care of your face and making sure there's no fungus among us, which is great. (laughs) And now we come to the point of the show that can be divisive, can be, well, we have issues. We do. You and I have issues. Like, sometimes Sometimes we're copacetic, and sometimes we're no bueno. Now, I have to say, this was a uh, you picked this uh, issue that we have today, which is a great issue to pick because there's been all this talk after that mysterious meeting Jason Momoa had with James Gunn and Peter Safran mm-hmm. coming out, going, whoa, you know, he was all excited. Yeah. And, of course, everybody is speculating that the main man is Jason Momoa yeah, going to play the cosmos. Uh, Lobo. Yeah. And you at what better time than January to talk <laughs> about this pick of yours, Chris Carr? I do think this did drop in February of 92, though, which I do love. <laughs> but this is the Lobo paramilitary Christmas special. The lo- And that's actually, ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, gentle beings, kind souls, however you identify, this is a real cover. It is. The Lobo paramilitary Christmas special. I love this. And I think this might be an out of left field thing for a lot of people too, because there is eye violence in this one. It freaks me out each time. But I love, love, love this issue. It is so wacky. If you love Violent Night, imagine we took David Harbour, we put some juggalo makeup on him, and we let him still fight Santa. All right? That's basically all this is. (laughs) The Easter Bunny hires Lobo to whack Santa Claus. It's true. And that's the whole plot there, folks. I love it so much because Lobo in the 90s basically was a character that was meant to parody. He was supposed to kind of point out all the hyper violence in comics, the kind of um, big metal, big hair kind of trend we were seeing from the 80s and then ultimately ended up becoming a parody of himself in that way. Yeah. Um, but this is such a quintessential Lobo story. It's so bananas. And this is I don't know if Simon Bisley did this art. But this artwork is great. It is Simon Bisley. And then it's Keith Giffen and Alan Grant doing the writing. Right, doing the writing. And what a great team. I mean. uh, Look at Santa. I mean, look look at this art. And this man, Simon Bisley, he's the quintessential Lobo artist. And you can see there's a little Sienkiewicz in him. There's a little, uh, was it Jay Lee in him? Uh, It's got almost some Frank Miller sensibility, too. Those really, really hard lines and just how grizzled everyone looks. I mean, come on. And this is what a great comic this is. Great pick. Um, again. Yeah, see, there's the eyeball. Oh, golly. <laughs> Die, it's you naughty eye. bastard. But man, it's so, so good. And I, I just always want to bring this one up because as we've talked about Lobo and specifically Jason Momoa potentially playing him, potentially, 
So many people have talked about how, oh, I feel like this is a downgrade from Aquaman. He's such a secondary or weirdly tertiary character that not enough people know about. When you look at the oeuvre of Jason Momoa's work <laughs> as of late, he loves weird, wacky, bombastic characters. Yes. Slumberland we talked about. Yeah, great he's example. so great as Flip. He loves these kinds of characters. And I think this is such a fun guy for him to play because you can tell a story like this, especially with someone like James Gunn at the helm going, yeah, we could have Lobo fight Santa. That sounds friggin' hilarious. Well, and you've pointed out earlier that Lobo has been in many different kinds of stories. Exactly. And he can, and John has said, Lobo's the kind of guy that you could have fight Superman. Mm -hmm. He can be a foil to different people. Exactly. He can join groups. You know, he can do a lot of things and as a character that can flit between different, mm -hmm. different characters and different locales. It'll be interesting to see like a, a character like Jason Momoa, well, a, a an actor playing a yeah. character like that. He I mean, is Jay, quite the character. Though. He is quite yes, he's quite <laughs> the character himself. But it, it would be so much fun to watch him dive into this role. But I think the important thing is before they can make him the wacky character, they do have to establish him as a character we believe Absolutely. in. Absolutely. And to me, it's the kind of thing that James Gunn does so well. I don't know if he would direct the movie. But but I think you would understand the sensibility because it's tough. It could be a complete ridiculous parody, which they don't want. Mm -hmm. You have to make this character have credibility so then you can do whatever you want with him. For sure. Like Deadpool can now be in a movie with Wolverine. But you had to establish that Deadpool, that first Deadpool movie had real pathos. And exactly. It had, There's a real center there. Yes. And they've got to do the same. I think they have to do the same thing I'd with Lobo. I agree with that, too. This comic is not that. No, and, and, but it and, shows you where you can go and why someone like Momoa would be attracted to the part. Yes, and I don't think this comic on the on the secondary market is that expensive. No, I don't believe so. And it's a I actually have this comic. It's, it's I bought this off the rack. It's great. It's a great one. You guys I, have to point something out. I don't think you can see it from where you guys are sitting because the text is so small. But there's a warning label on the bottom right of the comic, and it says, Warning contains bad taste in the form of ultraviolence icon bashing the finger and it's more offensive than christmas usually is mm -hmm. that's such a great warning label so you know not to give it to the kids <laughs> it's funny because keith giffen wrote the justice league international comic in the mid 80s mm -hmm. and the humor in that and, and jam uh dematius too is so good yeah. and he really brings his great comedy stylings to this to this issue it's a great issue well done thanks uh, you know what that brings me to now? Something else I like. Well done. My villains. Ooh. I don't know what kind of a segue that is. I'm here but for it. this is, um, I have to say, this is one of the more impressive six scale figures that has come out. Uh, it's been out for a little while, but it comes to us again from a, a, I think, one of the best third party unlicensed companies. Comes to us from So So Toys. And if you look at certain Hong Kong vendors, like Toys Wonderland or Comic Sanctorum, you might be able to find this figure on sale, and I highly recommend picking it up. Hello, everybody. I am here with the Viceroy of Velma. Rob? <laughs> I am not the Viceroy of Velma. I have put no effort into coming up with a name today. It's okay, but I, I can't accept that. But, you know, let's go back to Viceroy of Verisimilitude. That's fine. But I have to say, Taylor, I am very excited about this figure. Now, this is, again, a third-party, unlicensed figure, but it's put out by a company called So So Toys that is one of the... <laughs> All right, all right. It's an unlicensed third-party figure from a company called So So Toys 
And this is on sale. I got this figure on sale at Comic Sanctorum recently. Uh, this is Vincent D'Onofrio as Wilson Fisk. The, the, the figure is called The Boss Man. And as you can see, even third-party companies, unlicensed figures, you know, if they're not going to make, if Hot Toys or licensed companies aren't going to make, I, give me a so-so toy of this. I mean, look at this figure. First of all, how Natalie dresses got the Daredevil stand, but the head sculpt is incredible. And this is an amazing, amazing figure. I mean, look at that head sculpt. It's incredible. And look what else. I mean, it comes with, if you want, you can display him with his fine, fine clothes drenched in blood, or you can use the bloody head sculpt and you can put these together depending on how you want to display yours. But I have to say, when this came out, it was an over $200 figure and it was on sale at Comic Sanctorum for, I don't know, 100 bucks or something. I mean, it is incredible. The tailoring on this outfit, the tailoring, get it, uh, <laughs> is amazing. I, I, I mean, having... Having it's it, they don't make enough villains, but when you can get a great villain figure from a third party, my God, what a great figure this is! This is really awkward. My dad has been the back of the shot the whole time. There oh. he is, the trash can. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, great figure, and let me tell you, if it's not Hot Toys, So So is killing it out there. And if you like your your uh, CW characters, like the Arrowverse characters. They've made some great Arrowverse characters, and they've made some great Marvel characters. This Wilson, Wilson Fisk is one of them. Wow, that is... I look at that figure, and I'm just mesmerized. It's so good. Um, so, yeah, check it out if you can, if you want one. They don't make enough villain figures. You get too many heroes, not enough villains. That's what I say. But you know who's not villainous? Who? The people who watch our show. That's true. You're a bunch of delightful little sweeties. That's right. And the best part of the show is when we can hear from you, from our audience, from those of you who are superheroes in your own lives, which we appreciate. So, Chris, who do we have here today? All right. From Mud Awesome. Did y'all know an animated Moon Girl and Devil Dinosaur show is coming to Disney Plus? There's even a trailer for it. Yes. Yes. We've talked about this. Yeah. About three weeks ago, too, they did a little um, sneak peek look. There's a full scene you can watch. Right. And the animation is just stunning on this show. It's, it's really, really cool. Fun. I mean, look at this. I love the logo. Yeah. What a great logo. It's so cool. I, I just love that we live in a world where this makes sense to have on television. I, I'm right there with I you. I never thought we'd get this. Oh, Who and the soundtrack thought? sounded really, really rad, too, on this. So it's going to be a fun one. Yes, indeed. From Sam Fisher, I just watched the anime uh, La Chorus Recoil, which is a slice-of-life action mystery about a group of high school uh, girl black op agents. Highly recommend. Uh, you know what? Uh, high school black op agents that are girls, right up my alley. That makes sense for you, yeah. <laughs> Bring it to me. <laughs> yeah. Put it in my head. <laughs> From Suthius, because we're now in the multiverse saga, over under 75%, Feige seeks out the Daniels for a phase five or six project. Also, 60% majors has more than one role in Mania. Uh, that's okay. Those are two good questions. Yes. I wouldn't be surprised, although I think that Daniels might not take a job doing. Here's the thing about Hollywood. When you get an Academy Award nomination for directing and your film's nominated, that gives you a, that you also wrote, that gives you a lot of credibility to use that clout to make whatever it is you wanted. Yeah. So, I would imagine that they're going to go on the auteur path 
they don't necessarily need to make a Marvel movie they, unless they really want to. Yeah. But the only clout that you get in Hollywood is the success that gets you the clout to make whatever the hell, hell you want. Mm -hmm. And that's where they're at right now. So maybe they'll do. Yeah. If but, there's a character they're really interested in, but also you are fairly restrained at Marvel. Yes. So. Yes. Mm. I mean, you have to play the Marvel way. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah. What are you going to do? From oh, and the other part of that too. Sorry, oh, that, yeah. was it that King sixty percent major says more than one role mania? Yeah, over. I, I I'm gonna say over too. Yeah. He's going to play multiple variants of Kang, yeah. or we're go and I wouldn't be surprised if we see flashbacks or flash forwards or something. Something, yeah, because time is just you know wibbly wobbly. The Council of Kangs. Yeah, they're coming. From Jonathan Schultz, after Ant Man three, where else do you think we'll see Kang before King Dynasty? People are saying Loki season two, but I'm thinking we see him beyond just that. I think we're going to have to. I mean, mm -hmm. I would say that the Kang Dynasty, I don't think, is going to happen in one movie. No, I think he has to be kind of omnipresent. Yeah, and, you know, they've talked about... I read something that said we might see uh, uh, other examples of incursion in the Marvels. Ooh. So maybe, maybe we're going to be seeing more of Kang. Because I think they really do... The thing about Thanos is Thanos was, when you first see him, he's a big... Well, he's a Titan from yeah. Titan. He's a big hulking monster character. Whereas Kang, so far we've only seen him hanging out behind a desk. Yeah. You know, he who remains or whatever. And I, and we'll see his villain yeah. villainous side in Quantumania. We've but only seen him, oh, Captain, my Captain. Absolutely. Yeah. We're going to have to see him much, many more iterations of him, For I sure. think. So. From Al Renshaw, you think Gunn will slip in a reference or post-credit scene in Shazam 2 to something that is part of his 8 to 10 year plan? It's getting towards end of January, and Gunn did say we would get more info. I don't think so. I don't think there. Yeah. I think that it's very possible that this might be the last Shazam movie. Yeah, and if we if we were to get something post credity, I feel like it would pertain to something within the Shazam realm, yes. not the greater DCU. I agree, and plus the film was done before uh, Gunn took over. Exactly. So. That there'd be a reshoot issue and. I don't know, since we're finding about, out about their plans soon, I don't know if they would have had time to put something together. I don't either. Yeah. I think it's going to be kind of a Feige-esque PowerPoint presentation like we got on Disney Investors Day. Yep. Of being like, and here are my faces. Yes, here's what we're doing. And, you know, John said maybe tomorrow. Mm. Maybe Thursday. Potentially. Who knows? From Al Renshaw, we need more Rob rants. Hashtag Team Rob. <laughs> Well, you get them. You get them on my own <laughs> channel, too, on Observations, my show Observations on the Burnett Network. Smash that like button. Like and subscribe. <laughs> yeah. Watch my friend's stuff. From James Argenta, Michael Cudlitz, Abraham from Walking Dead, has been cast as Lex Luthor in Superman and Lois. He becomes the 11th actor to play the role in live action. We almost talked about this. This yes. was a contender for today's show. But I'm actually a we fan. We all like GoldenEye more. <laughs> uh, yeah, I'm a fan of Michael Cudlitz. I think, you know, I met him like 25 years ago casting for a project. Oh, cool. And he, uh, he's, a, I think he's a terrific actor. I mean, he, he's, he's chameleon-like. He can go between different shows. Mm -hmm. uh, he's been on, you know, he could play a great military officer. He's, I think he could make a great Lex Luthor. Yeah, I'm excited to see what he's going to do with it. Yeah, me Especially too. Especially in that show, because I think yeah. they've just been doing some really cool stuff. I think so too. I think he's going to be good. Mm-hmm. From Jonathan Schultz, if we do get an Invincible live action, I can see the style being like Hancock or the end of Man of Steel, but with more blood and gore. Yeah, I mean, That's I can't. Comparison. I, but it, it's still, I just see that. I see dollar signs. Yeah. The problem is to do a film like that, you, it's going to be expensive. And will you get someone to spend the money? Mm-hmm. Yeah. 
Hard to say, but it's it's tough because it, it's a hundred and fifty million dollar movie, and is somebody going to put that into Invincible? Yeah, and then they have to make it R rated. Well, but, does it does it stay with Amazon too? Yeah, absolutely. They so, might, maybe they could. They can afford it. They, yeah, I was going to say they have the money. El Andres. Do any of you read Berserk? And if so, thoughts? I haven't. I have not read Berserk, although I've seen Gem Mint collectibles uh, have a lot of his Berserk statues. Mm. And I love those statues. And um, I keep, you know, whenever I go to the local comic store, which is um, uh, a, a shop called Quest mm-hmm. is the name of my comic store. They, they have this a couple Berserk graphic novels. And I was, it looks great. Yeah. I mean, but I just have never read it. Mm-hmm. A.M. Hey, all. How would you like to see the new DC slate dropped? Video presentation? Tweets? Article in the major trades? Thanks. I would like James Gunn to personally come to my home and be like, hey, Chris, <laughs> how do you feel about this? Or, or send, me a, <laughs> send me a gift box, you know, yeah. where, where, where you open it up kind of like the, uh, the glass onion boxes, <gasps> where, you, where you get this puzzle box, you have to solve Perfect. puzzles, and you get the different... You know, that's all I want now. Everything else will disappoint. Me. One is like a crystal from the Fortress of Solitude. Then maybe you get a Green Lantern yeah, power ring. ring. You know Shit. what I mean? Wouldn't that be great? And then you get the flat. Maybe well, maybe not the flash ring. Probably but not the flash. Something. Yeah. And uh, and then and then it, at the end you get the invitation. But instead of the invitation, it it's the slate. It I tells you that. what they're gonna do. And that'd be perfect. Honestly, I, though, he can tweet it, and I'd be like, all right. I, yeah, I think that <laughs> we're, we're not gonna get. They're not renting out a theater like Kevin Feige. We're gonna. It's going to be some kind of a more of a announcement. Yeah, well, and most of his things have been tweets updated yeah. us, so I feel like we're going to stay the course on that. Maybe there'll be some media that goes with it. Maybe he'll do a little video with Peter from the office. Right. But I think it's going to go on Twitter. Or he's going to, and each each announcement will have, well, it's what you've been waiting for, and he'll do a series of tweets all afternoon. Yeah. Or something like that. Because mm-hmm. why not? I don't know if the, his corporate minders would let him do that, but it would be kind of cool. I would like it. I hope we do it that way. I would too. From Jonathan Schultz again. For some reason, I desperately want to see Daredevil team up with Moon Knight in Kang Dynasty or Secret Wars. I'm visualizing the epicness as I write this now. Hey, you know, my favorite run of Moon Knight, the original, there you go, the original Sienkiewicz mensch run, um, Moon Knight did team up with Daredevil because they're both kind of, they're both down-to-earth streets in New York characters, at least as originally conceived. So they, they definitely work very well together. I would love that. Nick Soto. Hi, guys. Rob, I watched Strange Days last week. Never heard of it. This might be the most underrated sci-fi in the last 30 years. Catherine Bigelow and James flexing that classic neo-noir with edgy sci-fi. Nick, as I love to say, you and I, son, we park our shuttlecrafts in the same shuttle bay. Uh, Strange Days is the most, I think, one of the most criminally underappreciated science fiction films of the last 30-plus years. Uh, It was written by James Cameron and Jay Cox. Uh, it stars, of course, Juliette Lewis, Ray Fiennes, and of course, our favorite queen of Wakanda mm-hmm. and soon-to-be Academy Award winner Angela Bassett, who plays uh, Lenny Lenny Nero's Ray Fiennes' character's name, plays his bodyguard. She's his limo driver and ninja bodyguard, and she's amazing. But for those of you who don't know, Strange Days is currently airing on HBO Max right now, and it's set at the turn of the millennium from the year 2000. And in it, uh, there is a a technology called squid technology that can record everything you see and sense and feel, and someone else can play it back, and it's as if it's happening to you. 
and it goes from there, and there's a police conspiracy in it. It's absolutely terrific, and no one remembers this movie. It didn't make a lot of money, and in the wake of the L.A. riots, I thought it was going to be incredibly incendiary. The great Michael Wincott plays record producer Philo Gant, and, of course, Juliette Lewis sings in it, and she's smoldering, and she sings a song called I Can Hardly Wait, which is a showstopper. And it's got a great soundtrack, too. Everybody, watch Strange Days, and I appreciate you bringing it up. So thanks for uh, writing in. From Dr. J, Chris Carr. Hi. If you could voice an animated superhero and Logan could voice the villain, which characters would you choose? Ooh. Why does he get to be the villain? Um, honestly, what I would really like us to be, and we've been this for Halloween, um, I would like us to be Zatanna, and I know he's not a villain, but Zatanna and Constantine. Um, oh. Because Logan does a really, really great uh, Welsh he also can do um, a whole bunch of other like English dialects, but when he does like the kind of Welsh version of it, I think it's fantastic. Um, and I love Satana, but I want to be a bad guy. I like being villains. They're so much more fun. I'm nice in my everyday life constantly. Let me be a bad person. I'm right there with you. It's so much more fun. You're not bad. You just drawn that. I'm just way. drawn that way. <laughs> From Jonathan Schultz, Robin, Chris, hi. If you had superhero names, what would they be? I'm thinking they'd have something to do with your awesome personalities. We do have awesome personalities. I, I mean, I, I would I would be verisimilitude would yeah. be the name. That would be my superhero name. That's true. And what I would do is I would bring reality to your life. I'd tell Ooh. you the truth. I'd be the ultimate truth teller. The old, Because what verisimilitude means is the quality of being real. Mm-hmm. And that's what I would do. I'd bring reality crashing down upon my my uh, adversaries i told someone in a session to bring some verisimilitude to something and logan just turned and stared at me and i was like i know i hang out with rob a lot tell you it's my favorite word it's great which by the way uh, the first time i heard it was from richard donner in behind the scenes clips from making superman the movie mm-hmm. and that was his buzzword on the set he had to bring that Ooh. that quality of being real to superman I like that. I'd probably still be the empress of uh, the enchantress of effervescence and then be like a little fun witchy gal. That I I I'd buy that. Yeah. I've always wanted to have plant powers though. I don't know what night my name would be to go with that. If I wasn't doing something based on my personality, I want I want plant powers cuz then you can eradicate um world hunger. I like that. What about uh the rosy thorn or the something? We'll workshop it. We'll yeah. figure it out. That's a bad name. Yeah. We'll come up with something it's better. That's fine. We're live. Daffodil. Oh, that's precious, though. <laughs> I like it. Okay. There you go. Well, Daffodil. From Chuck New 52. The Flash has been my favorite hero since I was a kid. All the issues with the movie pains me deeply. How important do you think he'll be in the new DC? I mean, this version won't be. Yeah, I mean, I think that the Flash is pretty much like a cornerstone member of the JLA. So I think, look, I think they're going to they're gonna start from scratch. They're going to give us a younger Justice League. We're going to see when the Justice League form, because we never really got that, you know, that uh, we kind of got it where Batman gathered the troops, but I want to see, I want to see the hall of justice. Yeah, You know, I want him to go full on or Justice League satellite, you know, and Batman being the one to bring everyone together though, just never made sense. No, I just, Batman's the reluctant joiner. Yeah. You know, it's like, you want me to just like, let me think about it. He's so annoyed anytime he has to help them, where he's like, you all have superpowers. Get out of here. I don't like any of you. Yeah. I don't trust any of you. As great as Ben Affleck was, as charismatic and wonderful as he was, I was like, this is a great Bruce Wayne. And a Bruce Wayne would pretend to want to bring people together. Yes. But a Batman would not. That is correct. I agree. From the Geeky Unlimited. 
Request for Amy Dallin to guest Heroes Reunion. Who's Amy? Amy, uh, Amy is uh, Coy Jandrew and Amy Dallin and John Schnepp and I used to be on Heroes together. I oh. adore Amy Dallin. I don't think you could say that she feels the same about me. Oh, it's all right. You know, but I, I, Amy is terrific. And by the way, she knows her comics and, uh, the wicked and the divine was something she turned me on to, which is still, there we are, uh, mm. which is still a great, uh, one of my favorite things that anybody turned me on to. I did get the image hardcover editions of the wicked and the divine, but I love Amy. I don't know what she's up to. I think she went to work for Nerdist for a while and she's done doing other geek and sundry and all kinds of other oh, things. Very cool. So, That's but I'm awesome. a big fan. From Jonathan Schultz. I'm sorry, Chris. Spellcheck changed your name on the superhero name question I asked. Don't hate me. That's fine, Jonathan Schultz. My my name gets misspelled all the time here. That's all right. My parents named me Chris with a K because they didn't want me to be um, Christine Carr with two C's because they thought people would call me Cece. And that made my dad furious. He just hated that name. He All my name, nicknames were always going to be boy ones. I was either going to be a Christine or Samantha, uh, Samantha so I could be Chris or Sam. Wow. Yeah. Well, you know, we don't give in to hate on this show. No. It leads to the dark side. It does. <laughs> I think you're all just beautiful little babies. That's right. From Nick Soto. Guy, I also finished the Highlander series. Uh, the show has a lot of hidden gems. The end game is now my new favorite guilty pleasure. The fight with Adrian and Donnie Yen was solid. Thoughts? Um, you know, I like the Highlander series. I, I thought watched it. Uh, it's pretty good. And oh I don't know. I don't know if I can go with you all the way to Endgame, But yes, the fight between Donnie Yen is good. Um, and it, it was compelling. The problem is and, and there's an argument to be made that the Highlander series, other than the original Highlander, is probably the best thing in the entire Highlander franchise, along with the original film. Kind of like the Sarah Connor Chronicles was the best Terminator uh, property outside of Terminator and Terminator 2 Judgment Day. So you're not wrong. Uh, this, the series is good. Nice. From Jeffrey Lindenblatt, on the topic of James Bond, why do you think that the character has not really had much big success in the comic book medium, but it did have a long run as a comic strip? That's a good question. You know, there have been a lot of James Bond comics. There's some running now. And I think the, the real problem with a James Bond comic is as a gentleman agent, you know, he's wearing suits, you know, and, and part of it is he goes and plays Baccarat and he has witty banter with people. I don't think that James Bond lends itself necessarily to the comic book medium, even though it probably could, but it's just not as much. It's not what people want, but there's been a lot of James Bond. You know, it's funny. There was a comic in the eighties called John Sable Freelance. Mm that Mike Grell drew, wrote, he wrote it and drew it. And it was first by, I think, first comics. And it was Bond-esque. And I really liked that comic. He had a really good mix of, of Bond elements and film noir and witty banter. Mm -hmm. It was good. But I think, it's, I think James Bond is, is tough to turn into a, a good comic book. Yeah. It's just a medium translation thing. Yeah. From Billy Lawrence, Chloe Bennett all but confirmed today that she's returning to the MCU. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. fans, rise up. Ooh, that's exciting. Are there any Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D.? No, I should <laughs> say that. Yes, there are. There are. Uh, and, uh, hey, that would be cool. I mean, why not? With the multiverse, mm -hmm. there's no reason why. We saw Anson Mount as Black Bolt in Doctor Strange. Yeah. If you had said on my 22 bingo card that I would see that, I would have said no. Mm -hmm. 
I couldn't believe he was in it. And if 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 they tap into the Inhumans, there's no reason why they can't no. tap into Agents of Shield. I said there was going to be zero chance. When we talked about it, I was like, there's no way they'd include any of the Inhumans. That show was trash. Yep. But Anson Mount as Black Bolt was not. Yeah, it's true. And that was such a baller move. Mm-hmm. Loved it. Same. From Jeffrey Lindenblatt again. Did you hear that DC, because of the cost, will not be reprinting new material from their classic 20th century catalog? I did not hear that. You know, that's just maddening. I mean, mm-hmm. that's it, it, it. I love their omnibuses and I love their hardcovers and their absolute yeah. editions. I mean, I think that's kind of silly because those things sell well. Go yeah. to cheap graphic novels and see how many of those things you can still pick up. But I guess it is expensive. But that doesn't mean you won't be able to get them digitally. That's true. I hope. Yeah. From King Daddy Goat. You guys are amazing. Much love from Kentucky. Aw, thank you, King Daddy Goat. Oh, from right there. <laughs> Taylor, good job. Thank you. Well thank done. You. Okay, you I, I, you're Kentucky. Johnny on the spot with that stuff, man. <laughs> wow. From JCSC, one of my school pupils is showing interest in comic artistry. Any examples of great comics that stuck with you to give them some inspiration? Well, it depends what kind of art you're doing. Yeah. I mean, you know, it's funny. Elizabeth graduated from Art Center, which is a very prestigious art school here in Pasadena. Mm -hmm. And I was surprised how much anime influence. Uh, I thought there would be more regular comic art. It was Mm -hmm. almost 95% anime, anime, anime. Yeah. So, I mean, that's one school. And I like anime art in terms of comic art but you know i think what i what i've learned and not being an artist myself is one of the most important things to really understand is human anatomy mm-hmm. and how to draw figures in many uh of their positions yeah and i'll tell you something the this is going to seem a little strange but there are action figure bodies silicon action figure bodies made by a company called fison with a ph and they have a metal endoskeleton and silicon over the top. And I didn't realize this because they're anatomically accurate, especially when you buy male figures. They come with various oh. pieces. And I was like, what the hell is this? Mm-hmm. Anyway, I use it for my Freddie Mercury figure. But um, <laughs> it's because they're artists' models. They're, they're used, and, and it's a really great way to learn anatomy. You can get them in various uh, ethnicities and various sizes. Mm-hmm. So learning anatomy is a really great way to start because then you can, if you want to get more stylized, then you can. For but sure. understanding human anatomy is a great way to learn to draw. Yeah, and just consuming art too. I mean, you can go down a rabbit hole on, you know, artist TikTok. Um, our own friends too, uh, J. Scott Campbell and Tanya LaHue do some yep. of the most incredible art you're going to find. Um my buddy, the Snipasaurus, has incredible art as well. You can find all of those on Instagram. Um, yeah, tell them to just start following some people. And then, yeah, work on your craft every day. Work on that anatomy. Work on your shading. Figure out those different techniques, too, so you can start going wild. You got to color inside in the box before you can go out. Agreed. Let your student know that. From Jeffrey Lindenblatt. Sorry, no 19th question today. <laughs> Were you prepared for a 19th uh, I, issue? I, you know, I was. <laughs> I was. <laughs> I was not prepared for number 19, no. No, 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 19. I never am. I never am because I'm an omnibus person too where I'm like, yeah. I don't know issue numbers. It, I double check them for when I talk about this show where I'm like, oh, shoot, I need a specific issue, not just. That's why so many of these have been like, well, it's a five-issue arc. Right. Because that's how I read things. Yes, I agree. But if you look up the old techno or dance song 19 from the uh, 80s, the 12-inch remix on YouTube, I'm sure it's there. That's the first thing that came to mind. It's not a comic. 
but, but it's, it's a number bop? 19. Is it a bop or a banger? It's a banger. Sweet. Okay. Yeah. Check it out. Rob, was that a jump scare for you, the count? Because one of the first things we ever talked about was James Earl Jones counting on Sesame Street. Yeah, but it, not, it was not a jump scare because the count was fun. James Earl Jones just scared the hell out of me. <laughs> yeah, that was really Except sneaky. when he would smile, like he'd get to seven and he'd smile. <laughs> but that him Before count, all that, you were just like, that's Darth Vader. Well, that's what, no, because see, I hadn't, I hadn't seen star wars yet <gasps> oh. and so it, the, the, i couldn't even sit in the same room on sesame street J, you can look this up on youtube james earl jones would count to 10 mm-hmm. you know one two and I, it just scared me the way he said it scared me and it was the anticipation of what was going to happen when he got to 10 so when i saw star wars for the first time mm-hmm. and i heard vader's voice i was like i thought that was the I can't tell you. I thought it was the most genius move in cinema history mm-hmm. because I'm like, whoever picked, that's it right there. Mm. Who, hey, he was scary. James was in the black shirt, you know, and and the way he started, he was so serious. You know, because on Sesame Street, it's always, this letter, this show is brought to you, well, that's yeah. Electric Company, brought to you by the letter <laughs> A or whatever. Yeah. But James Earl Jones was really, Vader's voice, I knew exactly. It, I didn't know his name yet. I'm like, that's the guy that counts the to 10 on Sesame down. Street. I couldn't believe it. It was the coolest thing. <laughs> Everyone in the theater was like, my mom's like, what? It's the greatest I thing ever. So George much. Lucas, you picked Good the right job. voice. <laughs> From Jermaine King, 7 of 9. <laughs> Thank you both for making the show amazing. Thanks, Jermaine. You're amazing. I just want to point out 7 of 9 is, in fact, a Star Trek reference. Jerry Ryan, who comes back in Picard Season 3, coming to you on February 16th. <gasps> Oh, that's right around the corner. Ooh, it's I'm true. And by the way, on SFX Magazine, they have a cover story mm-hmm. about the show. And the guy who wrote the cover story said, yes, this is as good as you've heard. Or you're not going to believe how good it is. All the keyboard warriors are going to have to finally admit or something. I, yeah. I, I saw Because you already ate crow and were like, hey, this is actually a really great season. I did. Yeah. I'm. I Look, you know what? I will admit when something's great. Yeah. I have no problem mm-hmm. admitting it. It's great. Well, because you want Star Trek to be wonderful. I do. I'm glad it's delivering. I want everything to be wonderful. Yeah. I mean, I go into watching, I go into everything going, this is going to be wonderful until it sucks. And then I'll get angry and and rant about it on the internet for four years. And I won't get over it. That's okay. Ever. (laughs) From Daniel Vaccara, John mentioned Sajan. Well, let's try that again. John mentioned (laughs) Sajan. Shazam. Wow, what is wrong with my mouth? Shazam being lucky to break even today, but Deadline broke down that it made 74 million compared to Man of Steel's 42.7 million, which is still crazy with how uh, how much Man of Steel underperformed so much. Well, here's the thing. Man of Steel did not underperform. It just it, it underperformed in terms of expectation, but it still made a lot of money. And if you look at it in comparison to the previous Superman movie, Superman Returns, which only made, it didn't even make over $400 million. Man of Steel did okay. It really has to do with how much it cost. And, you know, everybody expects, well, this movie's going to make a billion dollars. But, you know, it might have underperformed as far as they wanted it to perform, but it's still, it's still as you pointed out, it still made a profit. You know, just because it was $42 million, movies make a lot less profit than you think they do. Yeah. Everyone thinks, remember, the box office grosses, half of that goes to the theater. Mm-hmm. So in terms of what the studios get back, cut that in half. And then remember, they have their interest payments to pay back. they got overhead to pay back. So movies don't make nearly as much profit as everybody thinks they do. It's true. 
from Max Power. All of Ezra's work since 2015 has pretty much been with WB. I think this is why some WB executives want them back. They've also worked with Gunn in uh, Peacemaker cameo. Which was also Warner Brothers. But yeah. Yeah. I don't think anyone wants them back, truly. I don't know. Maybe that'll change. The whole structure is changing. Although, here's the thing. Mm -hmm. Unless they are dream Bodhi to work with, you're never... And James Gunn has flat out said, we need people that are great to work with Mm -hmm. and and that are perfect for the roles. Yeah. And um, they're going to, I think that's what you need. There's too much money at stake every moment on a film set to have any problems of any kind. And then when you're marketing something like this, Mm -hmm. I mean, who knows? I'm just really hoping, honestly, as somebody who is a fan of Ezra Miller, Mm -hmm. Their performances in stuff like Perks of Being a Wallflower. So good in that. And we have to talk about Kevin. Terrifying. I want them to succeed. Yeah. And get the help they need. And I want Flash to be great. Great. Mm -hmm. I'm hoping it's great. Yeah. You just, you know, number one in your call sheet, it's a big responsibility. And obviously there are people in Hollywood who are wildly difficult to work with or problematic. But I, it's nice that people are taking stock of that. And when you are number one on the call sheet, meaning you are like the lead actor in something, you you have a responsibility to everyone who is working with you because when you do some bullshit, that puts everyone's work in jeopardy. It's true. So you got yep. you got to be able to bank on your stars. Indeed. From H Conte, sorry if I pronounced that wrong. Is it time for Oscars to add a stunt category? Half of the movies nominated for Best Picture, like Avatar and Top Gun Maverick, used a stunt coordinator. You know, we talked about that today, and and we've talked about it here on the John Campia Show quite a bit. And John Mm -hmm. always points out the problem with having an award for stunts is usually there's a team of people involved. And now with digital technology, where does a stunt end and the digital technology begin? Mm Mm-hmm. And I think it would be hard for the Academy to actually identify what makes a good stunt today. Yeah. The Screen Actors Guild, they do have an ensemble award for stunts on films. Um, Outstanding performance by a stunt ensemble in a motion picture. Yes. So the actor union recognizes that. But part of, yeah, part of doing stunt work also is seamlessly not knowing when that person is doing it. So it'd be difficult to highlight individuals. Um, So I don't know. I don't know. Be tough. From Daniel Vacara, I hate Lobo in everything except Superman the Animated Series and the Justice League Animated Show when he tries to replace Superman after his death. He's great as a supporting character in a certain context. I won't disagree with you. He can be a lot. Uh, yeah, but I think that they can write. That doesn't mean he can't be written as a great character. But mm-hmm. it's tough. I mean, look, if you look at that iteration of Lobo, it's hard if you have a real human being inhabiting that role, mm-hmm. I think you can make it work, but you'll tailor the character to the, the however the character is written will be tailored to a live action rendition of that person. I don't think it's going to be motion capture CG if you've got Jason Momoa. Yeah. He'll be in makeup the way Drax is in makeup. Exactly. From Chuck New 52, I would kill for a Knight's Tale figure. I love a Knight's Tale. A Night's Tale is awesome. It's so fun. I'm sure that there is a third-party six-scale figure of of Heath Ledger in A Night's Tale. I can only I I bet somebody has made one, and if not yet, somebody will someday. So keep on the lookout for that, or maybe even go to the 
eBay and uh, the Evil Bay and see if they've got one. I was going to say a, a quick Google search. There are some little like in plastic figures that you can get on eBay. Yeah. They're not great. Yeah, that's the thing. Will but... somebody, will you get a great third party? <laughs> yeah. But one day maybe. I would love that. And yeah. is that it, Tim? Uh, that is it for Super Chats. I just have one thing for you, Chris. Uh-huh. God damn it. Yeah, why don't you explain what I this is? I rue the day. I rue the day I put that as part of the media we would use to talk about that comic. It's you know a what's funny? from a big chessboard. Dang it, Thunderbolts. I don't know if people are even going to know what that is because when the internet went out last time. Oh, no, but we put up the recorded one. So people yeah. know. Yeah. They know. They do know. Well, that'll do it for that us That was some here high comedy. <laughs> you know, Chris, uh, speaking of uh, voiceover. Yeah. Where can people find you and your voiceover class? Oh, my gosh. You can find me through my studio. Oh, Taylor, you're so sweet. Oh, uh, this is my you. website I built, speakfriendstudio.com. Uh, my husband and I run this. We do voiceover coaching. Uh, I do voiceover audition coaching. I also have a group class. A new boot camp is coming up February, 18th, February 18th. So if you want an intro to VO boot camp, that'll be coming up. Um, Logan does a lot of intro work. He does dialects. We are going to also start adding some uh, workshops. We're going to do creature work, fairy tales, and all kinds of cool stuff. When And what's the website? Speakfriendstudio.com. Wow. You can also find us on Instagram or just follow me on Instagram. When is your next boot camp? February 18th. There you go. All right. Where can people find you, Rob? Uh, you can find me usually here, but if not, find me on my show, Rob Observations, on my YouTube channel, The Burnett Work. There'll be an episode this evening. Uh, or you can find me on Instagram at RM Burnett or find me on Twitter at Burnett RM. Come, come pick a Twitter fight with me. Aw, yay. And making sure everything ran smoothly today was Mr. Taylor Gonzalez. Taylor, where can people find you? Oh, thank you. Thank you. Uh, you can find me on Instagram. You can find me on Twitter. And you can find me on my own YouTube channel, 50 Shades of Tay, where I will be covering Pasadena Comic Con this weekend, this yeah. Sunday, January 29th at the Pasadena Convention Center. And you just reached a milestone on your oh, YouTube channel, yeah. did you not? 600 subscribers. Thank you, guys. I really appreciate it. It's been so much fun having my little baby uh, channel grow. It's so exciting. Yay. Well, go to there and smash that like button. Smash it. <laughs> well, I guess this brings us to the end of issue 19 of the Weekly Hero. It does. Wow. I mean, we got to come up with great 20th issues. Maybe that's what we should do next week. Pick our two favorite 20th issues. Oh, that'd be cute. For our, the issues between us. Okay. I think that would be fun. Of our comics do battle. Well, yes, do battle. That's Perfect. right. Perfect. I mean, a lot of the comics I love never even made it to 20 issues. That's true. It's sad. I'll oh, it's going to gonna be really depressing doing this now. We're going we're gonna to look it up. <laughs> but on that note, from all of us here at the John Campia YouTube channel, we want to thank you all for watching. Thank you for supporting the channel via Super Chats and Tips. You give us great things to talk about, and we love it when you comment on the show down below. Share, like, tell your friends, subscribe. Do all of those things so we can go to issue 21 and drink. <laughs> yeah, dry wear will be over. And Rob and I will be back on the main show on Friday. We'll see you then. Bye.